Well, good morning, everyone, and happy 160th anniversary to our church here. Uh, if we haven't met before, I'm Ryan, and it's my privilege to be one of the pastors here. And um, we're going to be doing something a little bit different today, like Pastor Bob mentioned earlier. Um, we have a special guest coming to speak today, um, one of our former pastors, actually, at this church. Um, as a matter of fact, he was actually the founding pastor, along with his brother, Alvin Clark. So this morning, I'd like to introduce you to Pastor John J. Clark. Come on, Pastor, come on up, Pastor Clark. If you want to, welcome to have a seat on that bench. Well, it is good to take a load off of my hands, let me tell you. <laughs> well, Pastor Clark, I'm, I'm thankful that you're able to join us here today. And, you know, most of these people weren't around back when you were the pastor. Well, I want to, wanna, you know, this, this old bench looks familiar. I want to I say thank you for that, for, that, for the, some of those newer songs you were singing this morning. That really was toe-tapping music. I, I, I appreciated that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well... I've prepared some questions. You know, we don't really know a whole lot about your life and about the start of this church, and so would it be all right if we kind of had a little conversation, asked you some of these questions so we could learn more? Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly talk. We can talk a little bit about me. We'll talk a lot about uh, the Lord's church and about mm -hmm. the Lord, I hope. Yeah, that sounds great to me. All right. Well, why don't we start off with, tell us a little bit about your early life and family. Well, I was, I was born in 1815. My granddaddy, he, he served in the Revolutionary War, and then he, he, he was a preacher. My, my daddy was a preacher. Um, started off in, in Illinois and then moved to Ohio, uh, ultimately to... No, we started... I get these confused. It was uh, started in Indiana, and uh, then when that wasn't so much Indian anymore, we moved to Ohio and then on to Illinois, planting churches as we went. And, and uh, so we, uh, I was born in... It was called Hamilton County, but think of the, the west side of, of Ohio, and uh, that was Shawnee Indian country then, and uh, we, uh, my, 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 my papa planted a church there, and after a few years, church got settled, uh, he, he moved a little further west, and we'd do it again, another small town, and new, new town on the frontier, and we'd pack up and do it again, and so he, he taught us boys how to plant churches, and my mama, she, she, uh, um, she taught us book reading and, and, and schooling and, uh, and uh, did real well. There was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of school teachers in our family. Uh, five of the six boys ended up becoming preachers one place or another. And um, Will Gibbs, I mean, he wasn't a preacher per se, but he did a little bit of preaching too. So uh, yeah, we, um, well, 23 years old and I married Mary. Oh, Mary was a sweet wife. We had two, two, two children. Um, Oren was only 13. Phoebe was only eight when Mary died, though. That was, that was hard. That was a hard time. After a few years again, well, it was 18, hmm, 1852. That was a big year. I married again. Married a, a young gal, Elizabeth Van Atta. Called her Betsy. And... Um, Oh, we, 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 we had a wonderful life together. Lord gave us 12 more children together as well. And, uh, but uh, that same year, I married, I married Betsy that my, 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 my papa also passed. And so mama came to live with us. She was 74 then or 72, something like that. And we, uh, well, she helped us look after the youngins. And um, we, we kind of looked after mama. So that sounds like Indiana, Ohio. Sounds like a long way from here. What well, ended up bringing you out west? You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't realize how long away that is from here. That's about, uh, well, let's see, 
That's a bit from there to St. Louis. From St. Louis out to the Barlow Road, the, the, the sign said was 2,000 miles. And then you had 170 miles more to get to, to Oregon City. But what happened was, 1952, I told you that was a big year. Well, my brother Alvin and his family, they, they headed out the Oregon Trail that year, 1852. And, and, my, and, and my sister Rosie and uh, her, her husband, her husband Ransom Long was his name, and, and his family, they, they went with Alvin, and they were going to claim some land out in Oregon. And so we told them, well, well God bless you, and you, know, you tell us what it's like out there. And, and um, so they did. And uh, then, a couple of years later, 1854, there was this Land Claim Act. And if you would go and you would farm that land for, for four years or so, they would give it to you. And each adult could claim 160 acres. Wow. That's a pretty good deal, huh? So with me and Betsy, that's 320 acres. That's a big spread. Far more than we could ever have a chance of buying. We had 100 acres at the time back, back there in, in uh, Illinois, but we sold that off. And that last year, that Land Claim Act was about to expire. Then you'd have to buy the, buy the place at like $3 an acre. Who's got that kind of money? So, yeah, we, 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 we headed out. Golly, our, news, our new son, our baby John, was, was, was not yet one years old. And so uh, Mama came with us. She could have stayed with some other family, but Mama came with us, and she, she really took, took Phoebe, who was 10 at the time. She took little Phoebe under her wing. Golly, they must have walked most of the way. And, um, yeah, we came out west. Um, we, we didn't go alone. Betsy's folks um, came along with them, Gershom and, and, and Sarah Van Atta, and uh, some, of their, some of their children as well, their younger children, Eli and William. They end up settling here in this area as well. In fact, I think there's some of the Van Atta kinfolk here, here still today at the church. At least that's what I've heard. So, so my brother Alvin, he was already here, right? I mean, he, he, he wrote and told us to come. And, and so he met us there at the Barlow Road. And that was, that was a lifesaver, I tell you what. You know, you get, to the, you get to the river there and many a folk, they lost everything they had trying to float those wagons down those rapids. Mm -hmm. But uh, we hit the Barlow Road and they, you know, they charged us, golly, I think it was like, Three, four, or five dollars a wagon, something like that. But it was it was worth it to keep it all together. And so we arrived near Halsey, got our farm, we uh, staked out and began to work it. And of course, one of the first things we did there, we planted a little church called uh, called uh, Every's Butte Baptist Church, first church in that little area, and, and um, did just like my my papa had taught us. So that was down in Oregon City, though. That was down, down just, just kind of outside Oregon City, what they call Lynn County today, near, near, near Halsey. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And I think that church that you planted, that's still here today. Yeah, I'm not sure what they call it these days, but yeah, yeah, that church's still there, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Halsey Baptist Church. All right. But that was down in Oregon City. What, what caused you to come up here to Brush Prairie? Well, let's see. That was 54, so... It was about nine years later, and of course, we'd, 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 we'd more than had our time on the land, and so we were, at that time, you couldn't just claim land for free anymore. Those days were gone. So we were able to sell out our, our claims there to, to other folks who were arriving, and, you know, Oregon had just become a state, and it was starting to get a little crowded around there, and so we, we, we looked up across the river and uh, thought we'd come north, and there wasn't much here yet. There had been some settlers tribe, and most of them didn't stick. And so we come up here and we bought out some of those claims that had been established, but just weren't, was, was anybody living here anymore. And uh, so that was in, 
Let's see, that was May of 1863. Uh, our family, the, the, the Vanattas, Alvin and his family, and a few others came along with us, and we settled up in this area out here. And uh, that May, we, we, we built our cabins, we put our, our, our crops in the ground, and so we'd have something to be ready for winter, you know, once fall harvest came. And then in, in between planting and harvesting, well, we got together in August, and we, we uh, started this little church here. That there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any church outside anything north of the fort. There was the, the, the Fort Vancouver, the Hudson's Bay Company, you know, the, the fur trading outfit. They were still there, but, and, and, and there was some Anglican folk there. There was a, there was a Catholic priest there, but uh, up here north of the fort, there wasn't anything, and there certainly wasn't a good Baptist church. So, so that's what we did. So where did that name, Brush Prairie Baptist Church, come from? Well, well what we started, that, that, first, that August 1st, 1863, on a Saturday, that was a Saturday, we met together and we properly formed the church and laid out the structure and agreed on what was going to be uh, our, shared, our shared faith together as we understood it from God's Word. And, and then that first Sunday we met together, and that was Salmon Creek Baptist Church. Well, you see, because we, little, little log cabin schoolhouse and, and uh, that we also used for the church building, it was right near to Salmon Creek. So we figured, well, Salmon Creek Baptist. You're saying you, you met in a schoolhouse at the yeah, beginning? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I heard you folks are doing that again. Yeah, we're thinking about it. All so. right. Well, well it, 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 worked. it worked for us for a while, but then we did run into some problems. Maybe we'll get to that later, but... Uh, uh, yeah, along the way. Well, well let's, let's get there. We um, you know, had a neighbor. His name was Bowman. And Mr. Bowman, well, he was nice enough, it seemed like at first, but he had his own, he had his own kind of things that he was just stuck on. And he really became kind of divisive along the way in the church. And, uh, but uh, um, along the way, uh, I wasn't much of a farmer. I was a school teacher. I was the postmaster. I was the pastor. I, I even served a term in the territorial legislature. I'll tell you, one was enough. But um, we, uh, I didn't have time to do a whole lot of real farming on all that land. And he needed more land because some of his was kind of swampy. And uh, so, so, so we sold him some of ours. But the part we sold him had the, had the cabin schoolhouse. And, and we also met the church there. And after a while, old Bowman, he said, you know, I don't want you all meeting there for a church anymore because I don't, I don't think you guys are right. And so he kicked us out of our church we built. And uh, so we met in my house for a while, and then up, up north of us a little bit. And I think, there's, I think there's a little hamlet, Brush Prairie, still there today. And right, right, right in that area, we, we, we built another schoolhouse and, and uh, church, and we called that the First Baptist Church of Brush Prairie. Wow, and that yes, wasn't sir. just a name, was it? That was, you actually were the First Baptist we, Church. We were, and no matter what Mr. Bowman said, down, down what he was trying to do, we were the First Baptist Church in the area. That's right. That's right. And uh, let me see, that was uh, building that building the church and ha- having house church and, uh, and then the new schoolhouse and all. And, uh, and uh, the, the last big thing we did was when we, we moved from there, some folks in the church gave us a little corner, the Pearson family, they gave us a little corner out of their property. And right here on this corner where you folks still are, we, we, we put up a, a, a new church. You know, by that time, you know, place was growing a little bit. People didn't just have log cabins anymore. They had these nice clapboard or planks and things were looking a little uptown. So we needed a, we, we needed a, we needed a proper church building instead of just split logs to sit on. We needed good benches like this. And so in 1894, we built right out there on that corner. Wow. Yeah. So I understand you kind of mentioned it earlier, but there were some difficulties early on in the church. Can you tell us more about that? Well, there were, there were. You know, it's, uh, 
just uh, going along on the Oregon Trail is not an easy deal, you know, just getting there. It's a, it's a different breed of person that can do that. And, and a lot of times, independent, strong mind, and people then uh, will form their own opinions. And there was a little bit of divisiveness in, in the church as well, but uh, just the difficulty of life. I mentioned, uh, you know, we had, we had 14 children all, all, all told. And, uh, well, I, I buried seven of my 14 and life is just hard. But along with that, you know, um, I would walk 15 miles around, around the county here, uh, visiting folk and preaching in this place and that place. And, and uh, God's word was needed. Of course, you get sick. I had typhoid myself in 1876. And what a way to celebrate the, the birthday of the, of the country. I pastored for 20 years at the church. And it seemed like time to retire, you know, hand it over to a younger guy. But... Uh, well, after a few years, the church church needed me to come back, and they they um, they they kept me around a long a bit longer. I pastored until I was 81 years old. So, uh, yeah, there were some difficulties along the way. There was one particular issue. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to say much about that, but Mr. Bowman, he he uh, he was really convinced that that foot washing was the thing. We were, we were going to baptize believers. Absolutely, we were gonna we were going to uh, share in the Lord's table together, and we'd do that regularly. Not every Sunday, but we'd do that regularly together as a church. And and uh, but, but, but Mr. Bowman, out of John chapter thirteen, there he was convinced that because Jesus washed his disciples' feet at the time of the Last Supper, well, that was something that needed to be included there, that that was required of Christians too. If you're going to be a Christian following Jesus, you needed to have foot washing as part of your Lord's table, or it just wasn't right. In fact, he said, you might as well just tear out the whole Gospel of John if you weren't going to do it that way. And, uh, you know, some people thought that way, and we understood that. We were happy to happy to have foot washing as part of our... There, there's a good practical lesson there, but, but to tell people they must do that which... The Bible didn't seem to say that. It was just further than we could go. But it wasn't enough for Mr. Bowman. And he, he just got, my brother Alvin, even my brother, I felt like Paul and Barnabas. You know how Paul says even Barnabas was carried away by them? Mm -hmm. Alvin, Alvin was carried away by, by, by Bowman for a few years. Lord God softened his heart and he, he, he came back to us. But uh, Bowman, no, he just went his way. And that's hard. That's hard. So in the midst of those difficulties and other difficulties that you had, not only in your own life, but in starting this church. How did you keep moving forward? Well, you know, that reminds me, right really kind of in the, in the when some of that foot washing stuff was, was really popping up and really starting to become an issue, a, a distraction and a division in the church. The Lord gave me a message that really kind of went back to the, the essentials of the church. And uh, the, that message, I, I titled that message, uh, Go Forward. And you know, if you would, if you would permit me just to, to, just to preach just a little bit, could I preach just a little bit to your folks, I'd be happy to share that because it's, it's, it's important stuff. I think I'd be okay with that, right? All right. Well, let's, let's just wonderful. do that then. Let me, yeah. do, let, let me do that. You got, a, you got a pulpit around here somewhere? You know, you, it's, it's in the closet. These, you got these funny, funny, funny metal pulpits. We'll use one of those, I guess. Well, let's see. I got this. I got this. After I retired, they got me a new Bible. It's a 1898. It's got, it's, got, it's got pictures in it. It's got these tabs. You can find verses real quick. It's even got one of those 
concordance search engines in the back. Isn't it amazing what they can do with Bibles these days? That's just, well, I want to get to Acts chapter 2. And if you've got your Bibles, you folks do have your Bibles, don't you? If you've got your Bibles, then go ahead and open them up to to Acts chapter 2. And this is where, of course, Peter's preaching. So I'm going to borrow a little bit from Peter. I hope that's okay. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has just shown himself on the lives of these Christians. and, And others are wondering, what is this? What's going on? That's the, best kind of, that's the best kind of evangelizing, right? When, when people see God's Spirit moving in the lives of God's people. And so Peter tells the gathering folk, well, this is what's going on. God said that he would send his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit would urge all of you to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, God has shown himself, Jesus, uh, Peter said, in Jesus of Nazareth with many miracles and signs. There was no dispute. And yet, and yet you rejected God's Messiah. You crucified him. But God raised him from the dead just as the scriptures said. And so Peter has, has laid all that out in his sermon. And then he comes to the point. Then he comes to the pleading, he comes to the urging, and Peter says, let's see, let me find it here in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, turn, and be from your rejection. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, believing on him for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like these folk. For the promise is unto you and to your children, the next generations, and to all who are afar off, not yet believing even as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. You see, Peter's confident of, of two things here, I think. Peter is confident, he is certain about the guilt of humanity, of all those who stood before him. But Peter is also confident of the grace of God in the face of our guilt. They rejected the Son of God who came to them and for them. And yet God still graciously calls them to himself. That's what God is doing there in this message. And look how God answers two sincere pleas. There's a plea of the people, what shall we do? And there's a plea of God through Peter to the people. I urge you to believe, to turn from your rejection and belief. Let's look at that. What shall we do, the people said. What shall you do? You've heard, you've heard of Jesus. Maybe up till now, you've not taken it all real seriously. Maybe you know, yeah, Jesus must be the Son of God. But what does that really have to do with you? What are you going to do with that? What shall we do? Well, Peter's answer, repent of your rejection of Jesus up until now. Believe and be baptized as one who is forgiven because you believed in Jesus, made right with God, restored to him. 
And Peter goes on, with many other words, verse 40, did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this evil generation. Now that's, that, that can be confusing because we can't save ourselves, can we? No, but, but we are saved ourselves out of this evil generation by believing in Jesus, who is God's means of forgiving our sins. He took them for us. And we are forgiven if we receive God's gift of forgiveness, restoration to him in Jesus. That's, that's what Peter, I think, if, if I was outlining this, I would call that the, the crucial purpose of the church. That's what the church is all about. That's what the church can never forget. Nothing matters more than that. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It means you'll be forgiven. It means you'll be restored into relationship with God again, not separated from him. It means that you would have a new life, a whole new kind of life. A life that forgives like you've been forgiven. A life that finds joy, God's real joy, in the midst of all those troubles of life that might come along. That's the crucial purpose of the church that people all around us in this community would, would be restored to relationship with God through Jesus. But you know, there's also, in this, in this same chapter, there is a continuing purpose of the church. And here's where I wanted the church. We shared this foundation of faith in Jesus together. And now let's not get distracted going this way or that way, emphasizing some side issues that it's okay if we differ on. What should the church continue in together? There's a crucial purpose of the church around the gospel, and there's a continuing purpose on the church in how we will continue to go forward helping one another to follow Jesus. And then we find that in, in Verse 42 here, they devoted themselves or they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and in the fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There's four things that the church continued steadfastly in. This is how they go forward together. This is how we would go forward together. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. They continued in God's word, in God's book. This was their truth. As a church, there's lots of things that we could focus on. But what people need most is God's truth. Are you learning more about God's love for you? About God's grace toward you out of his word? That even when you had rejected him, God would call you to yourself. That God would invite you to walk again with him. Are you learning more of God's call on your life? That there is a new way to live that's described in his word. And he will instruct us in it. I, I hope that whoever's doing the preaching around here, I hope they're sticking to the apostles' teaching, how they preached Christ from the Old Testament and how they even wrote down their own teaching for us that we could continue in it. I hope your preacher's doing that too. It says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and in the fellowship. 
Church isn't a pastor thing. Church is a church thing. Church is a body thing. We are in this together. That fellowship word, that means, that means a shared participation together in. You know, one of the things we need to encourage one another, we need to confront one another at times, but you be nice about it. We do need to sometimes challenge and exhort one another. We need to live out our faith together. You see, as pioneers, it's easy to be independent. You get used to going it alone. You don't have neighbors terribly close. You don't need fences to keep them off your, your property. The distance will do it. So you, you learn to rely on yourself a lot. And yet believers in Jesus aren't, have learned they can't rely on themselves. We need him and we need one another. We need the body of Christ. We have been made a part of God's family. And in a pioneer world, boy, we learn the importance of family. And you grow them big because you need them. And we need one another in God's family as well. Do you find ways to share life together? Are you involved not only in, in, in your own life with the Lord, but are you involved in others' walk with Jesus also? Are you encouraging others and are you being encouraged by them? Are you finding shared participation together? Are you serving together with others to advance God's mission for this church among the folk around us? They continued steadfastly in shared participation in fellowship and in the breaking of the bread. Now this refers, I think, to a shared meal as well as a sacrificial meal. The apostles referred to both of those kinds of things as the, as the breaking of the bread. In fact, sometimes you'd have a nice big shared meal and you would celebrate the Lord's table in that, in that shared meal. In fact, I, 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 I heard we're having a shared meal today. We're going to have some breaking of the bread. Is that yeah, right? We are. Well, we're looking forward to that for sure. Our churches, our churches have potlucks. Our churches are known to have potlucks, aren't we? Everybody brings something, and you just find out what you all get to share in together. But we do that not because we like to feed ourselves. It's not just because we like to eat. We do that because families need to eat together. And so God's family needs to eat together. There's something special about sharing a meal together and out of that sharing some of life together with one another. It also refers to that sacrificial meal, continuing to remember our Lord Jesus' body given for us. He's the bread of heaven who gives us new life. Just like we need to eat to continue in life, we need Jesus to continue in life. His blood poured out for us on that cross, giving his life for the forgiveness of our sins, to, to remove every stain, to, to restore us again in fully accepted, beloved relationship with God. It's a wonderful thing. And we, we do that as a church. We continue that, that breaking of bread and holy table together to remember together how Together as a body, yet individually each one, we share in his sacrifice of his life for us. And they continued steadfastly in prayers. They prayed for themselves, for sure. 
And they prayed for one another. But you know, when when it says this here in Acts chapter 2, this is in the context. The very next thing you're going to read about, if if, if you keep reading in God's Word, and I hope you do, The very next thing it's going to say in in chapter 3 is they're on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. Well, all these folk in Jerusalem, they gather together around around the temple at certain prayer times. Now, we don't know if all of them mean it or not. They might just be doing a religious thing. But the believers in Jesus joined them there. And I'm sure, just like Jesus did when he looked over the city of Jerusalem, I'm sure these early followers of Jesus, they looked over all that's going on there at the temple, and their hearts probably hurt. And in those hours of prayer, sure, they're praying for themselves. They're praying for the needs of their family of believers. But they're praying for those folk around them, that they would open their eyes, that God would give them understanding that they would know and believe in Jesus as well. We pray not only for ourselves, we pray for the people around us. Their need is great. So, if we're going to go forward together, it's going to be with prayer. We can't get where God is leading us. Just like I wouldn't have gotten all the way to Oregon City, I wouldn't have even known where the Barlow Road went if it hadn't been for my brother meeting us there and kind of guiding us along the way. I could have been taken advantage of. We need others. We are weak. We need God's help to do God's mission. And because we're weak, because we need God's help, we need to pray. Pastor, There's going to be people come along with their own agendas. They're going to distract us away from from the things that the church needs to be focused on. We need to be focused on this crucial gospel purpose. We need to be focused on our continuing purpose together. Urge the people around you to turn from their rejection and to believe in Jesus. Help those who believe to continue in God's word, to continue as God's family together. Help them to to enjoy the life as one body, living out being the body of Christ, celebrating his body given for them, and, and continue. Lead them continuing in prayer together. And these are the thing, even though the difficulties come up, even sometimes the distractions pop up, these are the things that will help the church, I believe, to go forward together. Thank you, Pastor Clark. You know, church, that message he just shared is, it's not just a good message for this church in its early days with some difficulties. It's been a message for this church all along, and it's a message for our church here today as well. And it starts with repentance with belief, with faith in Christ. And so I want to encourage any of you that haven't taken that first step, that haven't responded to God's call in your life and repented of your sins and turned to him, trusted in Jesus for your salvation and been baptized, I want to encourage you to to come and do that today. Even talk to one of the pastors or one of the elders here um, about what it means to believe in Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for your sins. And once you have, then you're a part of the church And far too often in our society, we like to separate our personal lives from our religious lives. We have this idea of, yeah, I go to church, but this is who I am. And yet the Bible doesn't describe that difference. We, the people, are the church in in the body of Christ 
together. And so these four essentials of what, it lo- what church looked like in the very early days, on the first days of the church, in the first days of this church 160 years ago, these are the same things that define our church today. Devoting ourselves to the teaching of God's word. We must put ourselves under God's word. That is our source of truth. That's how we know God. That's how we know the truth of our salvation. And so we have to, we have to submit ourselves to God's word. To, like Pastor Clark said, the, the, the fellowship, that participation together, that not just, not just spending time with one another, having a good time with one another, but living life together, participating together in life and in ministry, in the ministry of the church. We have to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. Far too often we downplay how, how, what a spiritual act it is to actually eat together. But it makes a difference to break bread and to eat with one another. And we get to do that a couple times a year with potlucks, even today, as we break bread together this afternoon. But we need to do it on a regular basis. Whether it's with your small group or maybe it's just inviting someone else in the church over for dinner. Do that today. Find someone that you could invite over to your house for dinner this week. Break bread with others in the church together. And then lastly, prayer. And, and it's not last because it's the least important. It's, if anything, it's the most important. This idea of God, it's, it's not this ancient past. This is a God who was, who did these things. He's a God. He's the eternal God. He's the God of right now that we can believe it or not, have a conversation with, to speak to through prayer right now because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We have a guarantee that God hears our words. So we can pray to God, and we need to pray. We must pray because we cannot do this without him. These are the essentials of what it looks like to be a church. And this church has looked very different over the last 160 years at different times. Like we said earlier, we started in a schoolhouse. We may be back in a schoolhouse in a few weeks, a few months. And, and yet there's been lots of changes and turns along the way, and yet these four things have remained throughout all of this time. The truth is we don't know what the future of this church looks like. We've made some plans, but Proverbs 16 says that the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The ways of a man, so we, we plan our steps, or we plan our ways, but the Lord establishes our steps. Ultimately, God is the one who knows what's going on. So though we've made plans, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know that no matter what, no matter where we meet, no matter what it looks like, it'll include those four things. We as a church are committed to always be devoted to God's word. That is our source of truth. That is our foundation. That is what we will preach from. We as a church are committed to fellowship with one another, to living life together, not just seeing each other once a week during a church service, but spending our lives with one another, participating with each other. We're devoted to breaking bread together, to sharing that that life together, that meal, not only the Lord's Supper, but also that, that community of, of having a meal together. And most importantly, we devote ourselves to prayer. We devote ourselves to prayer for one another. Praying for each other. Those that you know are going through hardships, are going through difficult times. We devote ourselves to prayer for the church. 
as we move forward, as we go forward, with whatever, has God, whatever God has planned for us, we will pray that God's will will be done in our lives. And this message isn't just for the church. It's for the church. It's for all of us. No matter what difficulties you're facing in your life, this is what we need. We need each other. We need God's word. We need prayer. Because that is the only thing that will help us to go forward. And we need to go forward. Today has been a day of looking back many, many years over the history of our church, and it's, it's a time to celebrate the history of our church, and yet we can't keep looking back. We have to go forward. And in order to go forward, we have to trust God with all of these things. We have to keep these essentials as the focus in our lives and in our ministry here at this church. So I want to encourage all of you as part of this church, as, as part of the body of Christ, to look at how these things are part of your life, how you're involved in the church. Do you really belong here? Is this your church? Can you participate with one another in it as we look forward to the next 160 years? Let's pray. Lord, God, we thank you so much for, for our past, for your faithfulness at Brush Prairie Baptist Church. Through all of these years, Lord, through different locations and buildings, through different pastors and people over the years, Lord, we thank you that one thing has remained. You have been the God of this church all of these years. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Without you, Lord, this church would be nothing and it would have ended a long time ago. And yet, Lord, we have confidence in you and what you're doing here, Lord. God, I pray that we wouldn't just focus on the past, that we would enjoy celebrating that today, but that we would also look to the future, that we would go forward trusting in your faithfulness, and that we would be faithful to you, Lord, by devoting ourselves to your word, by devoting ourselves to the fellowship with one another, by devoting ourselves to breaking bread with one another, and Lord, by devoting ourselves to prayer, that we would continue to pray day after day for ourselves, for those close to us, for our church, Lord and for the people around us, that they would come to know you as the only true God and Jesus Christ as our only hope in life and death. We pray this all in the name of him, our Savior Jesus. Amen.